Welcome into the Ots and Audibles podcast. I'm Matt Framer. Scopo is with me as always. And today is a Wednesday, which means it's Mailbag Wednesday. We discuss multiple questions that you guys have submitted throughout the week on Twitter, on DuckTerritory.com. Through social media channels, you can submit them by tweeting at Eric. Or you can use the hashtag Ots and Audibles to get those in. And before we dive into these questions, I want to remind you guys out there right now that you can sign up for a VIP membership to DuckTerritory.com for as low as $1 for your first month and then $9.95 thereafter. Or you could get 30% off an annual membership today, one-time billing of $75.18. That comes out to being uh, just under $6.30 per month if you spread that $75 out across you know your, your month-to-month savings of over $3.00. Awesome savings there. Inside scoop, expert analysis, read all the content across the 24-7 sports network. A ton of stuff. And then when you're paying your regular price, so after your first year or if you go the monthly feature after your first month, you get CBS All Access. Look, we're all inside. We all are streaming more shows, more movies, uh, news, all of that. You get CBS All Access for free with your membership to DuckTerritory.com. That's a $100 value per year. All right, Eric, let's... Jump in now and discuss some some basketball news first before we dive into the, the the mailbag because we did the podcast on Monday and then shortly thereafter, Aaron Estrada of St. Peter's University he committed to the Oregon Ducks as a transfer. He was the Metro Atlantic Conference's Freshman of the Year. He played just 19 minutes per game and so. His stats are a little bit lower than you may think for a freshman of the year. Uh, but you look across his team and you'll see that, you know, St. Peter's played a ton of guys this past season. Uh, you, you look at, across the minutes played per game and they had like 12 guys play 13 or more minutes per game. So they, they, wow. they just a humongous amount of players. The, the rotation, I'm sure was tough to figure out. And Estrada was the fifth or the or fourth best. You know, he played the fourth most minutes on the team. He averaged 8.1 points, 2.5 rebounds, and 1.9 assists per game. He shot 40.5% from the floor, 34% from three-point land. And look, I, I look at this as they're getting a freshman of the year of a, of a mid-major, low-major conference, and getting a chance to redshirt him and get him eligible for the 2021-2022 season when Chris Duarte has graduated, Eugene Umari has graduated, Eric Williams is a senior, Will Richardson is a senior, and they've got a host of upperclassmen, and, and now they're adding a, a key piece as a, as a redshirt sophomore. Yeah, I was going to ask you in terms of how, where does he fit into this? And I know it's hard to predict this far down the line because we're now talking about will Richardson be on the roster? Who else will not be on the roster? Which players will have transferred in other signees? But does he, do you think Matt Estrada have the capability to be a solid Pac-12 starter? Is his ceiling higher than that? Like how do you perceive him? Because you look at him out of high school, he was a low three-star recruit, uh, went to St. Peter's. Uh, the stats don't like jump out at you, but still, he was the conference's rookie of the year. Like, what is it about a starter that you're excited about, and kind of how do you see him fitting with this team down the line? 
Yeah, I, I look at this as Oregon is, is saying, hey, instead of going out and, and signing a, a top 50 guard in the, the 2021 recruiting class or going out and finding a top 100 guard in the 2021 recruiting class, they're picking a guy that's a transfer that's been selected by the conference he played in coaches. It wasn't the media. It was the coaches, the guys that are paid the money you know, to evaluate talent. And the coaches voted him as the freshman of the year. And they're, they're picking a guy that won freshman of the year in a conference and are thinking, okay, this guy's going to show up. He's pretty good. He went a little under recruited. He played in a solid non a solid low major conference. Um, put up some decent numbers against, you know, high major schools, uh, teams like UConn. And, uh, I want to, I want to say, can't remember who else they played off the top of my head, but they're St. John's. St. John's is another one. Um, they're they're taking a guy that that's done it at the college level and is going to be at school for two or three years at Oregon. Whereas if you go out and you find you know a top 100 guard and let's just say he shows up and averages 12 points and four rebounds and two assists as a, as a freshman, there's a high probability that guy is going to go pro. He's going to at least test the waters and you don't know if he comes back or not. And let's say it's on the other end. He, he only averages six points per game and two rebounds. And it's clear, Hey, this is a guy that, was highly regarded as a basketball recruit, has a high ceiling of potential, but just was not 100% there and ready to make a contributing impact as a starter for a team competing for a Pac-12 championship. Doesn't mean he's not playing. Doesn't mean he doesn't have an important role, but he's not a starter. Well, that guy could turn around and say, I don't like my setup here. I, I think I should be doing better in transfers. I mean, we've seen that. We saw that, uh, you know, a ton over the last couple of seasons. And so I think Oregon's going out and they're getting a guy that they know that's going to be on campus for two or three seasons. He's probably not going to be, you know, the highest ceiling of athleticism, the highest ceiling of a skill set. But you know that, hey, you know what? His first year, he shows up. He doesn't have to be the guy. And he just needs to, you know, give us seven points, eight points off the bench. And then... As a redshirt junior, his second season, he's expected to be a starter. I, I I think that's kind of his his arc, his expectation arc going into the program. Um, I mean, I, I look at the schools that he was down to: Syracuse, Creighton, and Oregon. Two of those two, two of those three teams were top ten ish teams all year in college basketball this past season. Syracuse, I mean, they, they've they've got a long history. Um, I, I think the fact that some high major schools like those three were on him kind of tells you the value that that he could bring to Oregon when he becomes eligible. And we should probably note, just to kind of furthers the trend that Oregon has gone the sit one route with transfers, whereas historically we've seen them go more grad transfers when Dan Altman arrived. They went and did a lot of took a lot of one and done caliber players over the last couple cycles. Now it seems like they're really getting uh, comfortable taking these type of players. Obviously, Eric Williams and Eugene Amari, two players you mentioned previously, um, also have taken this route. I think it's interesting and notable that clearly 
Dan Altman and his staff have sort of found some things they thought worked, some things that maybe didn't work, and have kind of adjusted. I don't know if you agree with this, Matt, as much, but it does seem like this seems to be the route that they are trying to take in, in place of perhaps going, like you said, and grabbing a one-and-done or, or a top-50 guy who might be a one-and-done or a two-and-done. I think so. I mean, I think there's certainly an interesting shift there because go back to last season and they added Eric Williams and they added Eugene Umari, uh, two transfers that sat out this past year, two guys that are expected, let's be honest, they're expected to become starters day one at Oregon for the 2020-21 season. You know, they were, they were their respected, you know, previous team's best player. Omari at Rutgers and Eric Williams at Duquesne. You know, Omari averaged 13 points and, and seven rebounds and two and a half assists per game. And Eric Williams averaged 14 points and eight rebounds per game at Duquesne. So you look and, and I, I also think the timing right now is right for Oregon to go out and sign sit transfers, sit one transfers because you look at the roster that Oregon has coming back and look, Peyton Pritchard came out on Tuesday, did a media interview and he said, you know, speaking with his teammates and obviously things could certainly change, but he said that at that time, at that point in time, to his understanding, every other player that had eligibility left at Oregon had communicated that they were going to come back to Oregon next season. That would be the second time ever in Dane Altman's 10 years that the roster he had coming back after a season all returned. You know, nine other uh, other yeah. times players have transferred out, players have gone pro. Um, if that holds true and every player with eligibility left returns for Oregon next season, there really isn't a spot out there for Oregon to go out and find a player and tell them, hey, we can we can guarantee you 20 minutes. We can guarantee you 25 minutes. That's just not possible because of the the players and the caliber of player they have. And so I think this is the way to go for this year in particular because you can go out and find Aaron Estrada, and now maybe you can find another guy. Maybe it's a post player or a wing and redshirt them. And now you look at it as, okay, so – you only sign maybe two players in the 2021 recruiting class, but you get two more guys coming off transfer that are, that spent the year in the system that were totally okay redshirting or not playing because they couldn't play anyways because they were transferring and you know, they're okay with sitting a year. And so I, I think this year in particular, this is the, the route to go and finding guys that are, that have two or three years of eligibility left and, and, Bringing them in as transfers and redshirting them, and, and you know, basically building uh, some veteran depth without having to, you know, go out and find a grad transfer. All right, Matt. Let's shift gears now and start looking at some of the questions. We've got a handful of questions here on our Mailbag Wednesday podcast. First from at Pack Surfrider. Hoping to get a better idea of the kind of quarterback prospect Anthony Brown is. I saw he was a three-star at a high school, but how would you rate his arm strength, accuracy, mobility, ex- speed, etc. now? And based on what you've seen from qu- quarterbacks already enrolled, how does he compare? Hashtag Ots and Audibles. 
Um, I, we're going to have a couple questions here that are Brown-related, and it makes sense given that it, it's the only football acquisition of the last week or so, I guess longer than that, and he plays quarterback, and he's eligible to play right away. Um, let's start with kind of what seemed to be his strengths, and, and I think we, we should know mobility and speed are certainly things he can do, and he's shown he can do. He was a dual-threat quarterback prospect out of high school in the 2016 class out of New Jersey, um, and if you watch him, he certainly has the athletic tools to, to tuck the ball and run. And I, and I still think that remains one of the reasons, or, or a reason at least, to, as to why you'd bring him in. Because Moorhead has already stated he's open to running the ball more, 8 to 10 times he stated uh, previously. Maybe Brown's a guy that helps accomplish that. In terms of as a passer, um, I, I think his arm strength is, is pretty decent. He can flick the ball down the field okay. I think the accuracy is the thing that maybe is a little alarming. You look at him, he's a le- less than 60% compl- uh, completion percentage over his career. Um, you watch him a little bit. There, there are times where it just seems to be off a little bit. So I think those are things that you probably want to see him improve on. Um, in terms of how I would, I guess, rate him or compare him to players already on the roster, like I, I still think Tyler Shuck is the better passer and, and probably the better overall player. And, and like I've said previously, I still expect it's kind of his job to lose. Um, it, it's hard to compare him to anyone else, though, because I've, we've seen very, very little of Jay Butterfield and Kale Millen. Kale Millen was obviously injured all of last season, basically, and Butterfield just arrived, so we're talking about four practices worth. But uh, I, I would guess Brown is probably going to be quite a bit further along than those two. Those two players are, are young in their career at right high school players, um, and, and so I would think he would have uh, the, the step above those two based upon experience. Matt, do you have any thoughts kind of on Brown and, and how he might fit in with what Oregon has at quarterback? I, I think this is going to be a guy that's maybe a, bo- a higher bottom, if that makes sense, than Tyler Shuck. Like, his, Tyler Shuck has a humongous, uh, scale here. Like, the sliding scale. Like, he, his bottom, he could be really bad, for all we know. Like, it's possible. Yeah. Like, he could show up and it just, it not, it not be it not be the fit and it he struggles immensely and it could go the complete opposite direction where I lean that he could be really good and he just needed the reps and the opportunity to show it where he shows up and he has like an all pack twelve player of the year type of season at Oregon. I think Anthony Brown his sliding scale is much safer, but it's also not as high in potential. Like, I think if he is the starter and he shows up, he's probably going, you know, to be a, a guy that he probably at, at, at worst is going to be a middle of the road conference player at the quarterback position. But I think it would take a career year for him to and he'd have to play A plus every game for him to probably have an all conference caliber season. It's probably not as likely, but it goes back to like, look, it's a safer play. Like he's not, his bottom isn't going to be very low. It, you know, you're, you're going to get solid production, but at the same time, you're probably not going to get elite production at the quarterback position from my perspective of what we've seen over three years. Doesn't mean it. He can't win a lot of games. Doesn't mean that he could lead Oregon to to winning a conference championship. It could just be, it could be the difference between, okay, is Tyler Shuck ready 
to be the quarterback, and if he's not at a high level, what do you want to go through the, the, the ups and downs of a, a sophomore Tyler Shuck where maybe you, you win eight games? And your best case scenario is you win 12 and you're playing for a conference championship and possible playoff berth. Or is it Anthony Brown where you know you're going to win nine or 10 games, but you also know you're only going to win maybe 11 games with Anthony Brown at quarterback. So I think that's going to be the, the, the debate internally of what quarterback brings the most potential and has the lowest risk of failure at, at for Oregon between Tyler Shuck and Anthony Brown. And those will certainly be interesting evaluations to, to kind of follow and, and, and see how they play out because I do think there are certainly arguments for either player to be the starting quarterback at Oregon. And frankly, there's going to be a, an awful lot of opportunity, we would hope, with when fall practice or whatever the next thing we see for football uh, for 2020 is, um, that'll certainly be uh, the highlight and kind of the focal point of what everyone is watching and talking about, um, at least uh, until there is some sort of separation or some sort of uh, decision announced. Second question, kind of sticking with the quarterback top talk, I should say. With Vernon Adams being number one, where would you rank Anthony Brown and Dakota Prukop in the grad transfer quarterback pecking order? Hashtag Ots and Audibles. Thanks again for using the hashtag. Uh, I was looking at this a little bit and – I think some people forget because Dakota Prukop was not good in his, what, three or four starts he had at Oregon, and obviously he got beat out by a true freshman in Justin Herbert, but um, he was a first-team All-American and a National Player of the Year at the FCS level semifinalist his year prior to Oregon. Um, he was a dual threat. He ran for 24 touchdowns in his career. He threw for 46. He was uh, a big sky first or second team selection in 2014 and 2015. So this is a highly, you know, highly regarded player when he arrived at Oregon. Now, of course, he was not successful at Oregon. Um, of course, he was not a very impressive player at Oregon, frankly. But I think what he did at the collegiate level, now, of course, it is a level below what Anthony Brown did at Boston College, which is power five. But I think what Prukop accomplished during his career at Montana State prior to coming to Oregon is probably more impressive than what Brown did, at least from an accomplishments perspective. I mean, you could probably make some arguments about who the better player is, but um, I think that might surprise people listening because people look back at Prukop and probably don't have very fond memories, but you look at what he was coming to Oregon, and there was like at least some level of like, okay, they got a decent quarterback. He was really good at this level previously. Obviously, didn't play out that way, so I would actually probably lean Prukop over Brown. Matt, do you have a preference there? I would probably say, obviously, Vernon Adams is number one. I would put probably Anthony Brown number two because Prukop, while he put up good numbers, it wasn't eye-popping like Vernon Adams. And you have to remember, Adams and Prukop were at the FCS level, and you have to also give credit where credit's due. Anthony Brown put up solid numbers in a Power 5 conference at a school that isn't really nationally considered an elite program. Um, so, uh, I would put Adams one just because his numbers at the FCS level were just astronomical. And you, you look at it and say that I know for a fact he could be at, playing at an FBS school and be one of the best quarterbacks in the country, which ended up happening. You couldn't say that about Prukop. You, I think you felt like Prukop could maybe do that, but at the same time, you definitely were kind of like, this guy's a little bit 
more of a risk than Vernon Adams, whereas Anthony Brown has put up good numbers at an FBS school in a Power 5 conference. So I, w- I would say Adams, Brown, Prukop. Third question from at Cole Bigby. Which unit for Oregon will be their strongest, and which player upon – which player – this is this question does not make a lot of sense, but uh, which player will have an under the radar season like Johnny Johnson the third last season? Um, sorry about butchering your question, Cole. Uh, it was not great, but I, there was a word or two missing there. Uh, in terms of the strength of the units, I, I think I'm going to just let's do offense and defense here. I think defensively, it has to be the defensive backfield um, with just everything that's back. And there's a question later on the show that kind of that'll pop up that'll kind of explain this in terms of just the amount of the crazy amount of depth and talent they have back there. I think everyone that's kind of everyone's pick on defense. I think surprisingly on offense, I'd say the offensive line has a chance to be the strongest. I know there's a ton left to be kind of figured out there, but I just think based upon what Cristobal has said previously with what we saw in spring with just the high caliber of athlete they have on the offensive line and Cristobal's history of developing them, I think that's going to be a strength this year. Um, I think Running back's probably the obvious one because they do return their three top guys, but I don't know. I think no player on, no running back is as good as Penny Sewell, and I think the assortment of talent there is really, really good. And then in terms of a under the radar breakout player, um, here's an end. We're talking offensive line, like maybe Sam Putasi fits into that, and that's not like a real sexy pick because he plays offensive line, he's like a left guard, but he's a player that was on no one's radar. No one really considered him a threat to start, and yet through four spring practices, there he was, and Received a lot of really positive things from Cristobal uh, when he spoke on uh, a week ago. So uh, those are some names there. I guess Adrian Jackson on defense is another one I've mentioned before, a player that sat last season because of injury that I think could uh, maybe surprise some people this year at linebacker. Matt, do you have uh, maybe an offensive and defensive side or I guess position group that you think is the strongest and then a player on each side of the ball that you think could be a, a breakout player? Yeah, I, I think – Defensively, defensive backs, like you said, like that, that group is just absolutely loaded. And I mean, you, you could, you could remove one of the starters from last season. So Thomas Graham, Diomede Lenore, Javon Holland, Brady Breeze, Nick Pickett. You could remove one of those guys and that guy not play at all in 2020. Right. And I still feel like they're elite. They're the best in the, they're still the best in the Pac-12 conference. Just because of the ability to develop talent in the wings and the ability to recruit talent that's waiting. Guys like Verone McKinley, who was a freshman All-American this past season. Uh, Michael Wright, who is pushing for starting snaps at cornerback. You've got the addition of Dante Manning, a five-star cornerback. You've got the addition uh, Bennett Williams, uh, freshman All-American at Illinois a couple of seasons ago, who's now came from a junior college and is eligible to play this season. You've got three guys and, and Hill, Bridges, and James that all, you know, had decent reps as freshmen last year. Some, you know, a couple of those guys redshirted, one of them didn't. So I, I, I look at that group and just say, they're so loaded, they could lose a starter and that guy not play the whole year and they'd still be completely fine. Uh, they'd have to adjust, but they would still be elite. Um, offensively, I would look at, I would probably say, I, I really think the running backs are pretty talented at Oregon. 
I, I know we want to see more out of CJ Verdell and part of that is health related, but I think Verdell is pretty talented. I think Travis Dye is, is a solid piece at running back. Cyrus Abilakio is, is a guy I, I think could put up bigger numbers if he just simply had more carries, um, at Oregon. He, I think in, in his sample sizes, he's done well. They all kind of fit really nicely together and maybe it's a deal where individually they're not as good but collectively they're they mesh well i i think sean dollars could be a guy that you know could could work his way into that three-man rotation and make it a four-man rotation um as for someone that breaks out i is devin williams breakout is brian addison like a breakout guy because i i I think both of those guys are expected to have big years um but it, it wouldn't necessarily be a shock maybe a patrick herbert at tight end I mean, we talk a lot about Spencer Webb and we talk a lot about Hunter Campmore playing, but, you know, the staff is extremely high on Patrick Herbert and he redshirted, you know, maybe things click for him as, as uh, a redshirt freshman. Maybe Cam McCormick stays healthy uh, as a breakout candidate. Defensively, that's a tougher one. I would probably go to the default answer of Adrian Jackson just because he played a lot as a true freshman and then, was in a position to where, you know, he was going to start this past season and then hurt himself uh, leading up to the Auburn game in a practice and was lost for the year. So I, I would probably say uh, defensively we, w- we would go with uh, Adrian Jackson. So all right, let's take a quick break. You're listening to the Aughts and Audible's Mailbag Edition. All right, welcome back to the Austin Audible's podcast. I'm Matt Pramer. Scopel is with me as always. And halfway through the mailbag, a couple more questions to go. Uh, let's keep this train rolling. All right, fourth question from at UO Ducks. As of right now, who are the top targets in the 2021 recruiting class? Uh, it doesn't specify, but I'm going to assume this is football. Uh, Matt, you want to just run through a couple of guys? Well, let's look at the offensive side first. Um I think they need to find some receivers. And there's three guys that really stand out above everybody else. And they happen to be three of the six best receivers in the country. One of which is Emeka Ekbuka, the number one receiver in the country, the ninth best player overall. He's a five-star. He's from Silicon, Washington. Uh, Oregon has a good relationship here. I wouldn't say they're the number one school, but they're in the mix for sure. Troy Franklin, he just dropped a – a top six and Oregon made that. He's a five star receiver, the number three player at the position, the 30th best player nationally. I think Oregon right now, if I were to say where he goes, Oregon would be the school. And then Dante Thornton, a four star receiver, the sixth best player, uh, in, in the country at that position, top 50 overall recruit. He's also got Oregon in his top group. I would, I would say those three guys are probably some of the most sought after recruits Oregon has. Brock Bowers, a tight end. He's the third best tight end in the country. He just dropped the top eight and has Oregon in the mix as, the, as well there. Uh, offensive tackle-wise, you want to look at some guys um, that are generating a ton of interest and in that, that have high interest in Oregon. Uh, Kingsley Suamatatia uh, out of Orem High School in Utah. He's a four-star, the ninth best tackle. He's probably the best offensive lineman out, out west. Bram Walden, an offensive Tackle from Sogaro High School in Scottsdale, Arizona, a top 100 recruit. 
Jonah Miller, the second player out of uh, the state of Arizona, that, that that's kind of in this group, the 25th best tackle in the country. Again, a top 300-level recruit. And then at guard, Bryce Foster. He's Oregon's in the top six right now. He's the fourth best guard in the country, the 69th best player overall out of Katy, Texas. Oregon's the lone school that's kind of a you know for far distance school in in, in his list. He's got uh, the Texas schools, he's got a couple of SEC schools in there as well, and then there's Oregon. So um, top target there. I, I wouldn't necessarily come out and say Oregon. They're they are a finalist, but this one's kind of more up in the air of where exactly Oregon fits uh, within that group. Now, defensively, you want to look at a couple of names. JT Tuiamalo, uh, off the, the five-star defensive tackle, the number one player at his position, the number two overall player in the country. JT is extremely high on Oregon. Victory Vaca, another four-star defensive tackle, you know, top 200-level player. Oregon's a player there as well. You want to look at outside linebacker, and, and you'll see a couple names that are pretty familiar. Uh, Junior Colson, a four-star linebacker from Tennessee, has got Oregon in his top group. Da- uh, just Jonathan Flo, Justin Flo's younger brother, he's got Oregon uh, in his group. Uh, Keith Brown's committed. He's an inside linebacker, so I, I won't say him. I'm not really naming guys that are committed to Oregon right now, but that's someone that's you know one of their top targets that's already committed. Um, cornerback, Sierra Wright, a guy that, that's a four-star recruit, seventh best cornerback in the country out of, uh, the Los Angeles area. He's probably one of Oregon's top targets. And then you want to look at safety positions. JD Coffee just put Oregon in his top six. Uh, Kari Green, another four-star guy. Coffee and, and Green, and Gee, excuse me, Kari Gee are, are two players that are, you know, four stars that have Oregon in their top groups. And then just from an athlete standpoint, there's a lot of guys here. But I would say like a Julian Simon from Lincoln in high school in Tacoma, four-star, you know, fifth best athlete in the country, 101st best player overall. Uh, Denzel Burke, another athlete. He's the ninth best player at, at the athlete position. Anthony Beavers Jr., a guy that was committed to Oregon. He's back on the market. Colin Bullock. Uh, another four-star athlete. So those are some names. I, I know I gave probably, you know, 10 or 12, um, all various levels of interest in Oregon, but all guys that at their respective positions that Oregon's giving a lot of attention to. Good stuff there, Matt, running through those names. I think a, a lot of players to be familiar with and certainly the 2021 class and what happens there will be at the forefront of what we discuss going forward. Fifth question from at DT Dinner, and I love this one. If you were quarantined with three Oregon sports legends, who would they be and why? Um, I have four here because I wasn't sure if one of the people could be someone who's already deceased. Um, but let me run through the four I picked and, and kind of explain why. I, I the, player, the person I would like to, to if, if they were available, and of course if they're deceased, maybe they wouldn't be during quarantine, but let's just pretend I have some sort of access to some sort of like supernatural communications ability or I can reinvigorate and uh, I guess recreate Steve Prefontaine and put him in my living room, but uh, I, I would want to know, I would want to talk to Steve Prefontaine for a, a variety of reasons, but like, I, I want to know how accurate those movies were, man. I want to know, I want to know, like, <laughs> I've watched those biopics a couple of times. I want to know what they got right and what they got wrong, and uh, I want to know more about, like, I guess just about what his life was like. He seemed like a really interesting, charismatic, kind of wild man, kind of cavalier person. I think he'd be a lot of fun to be around. I might, maybe I'd end up not liking him very much after a while, I don't know, but... 
uh, I think that would be an interesting person to, to spend some time with. I, uh, I also selected Marcus Mariota because I think he'd make me a better person probably. Um, probably have a positive influence on me. Uh, Phil Knight because he'd teach me how to make money, which is something that uh, <laughs> I'd certainly need help with. So you know, any, any time spent with with Uncle Phil kind of uh, maybe devising some, some ways to increase my cash flow, that seems like a good use of time during a quarantine. And then my last one here, I was just trying to think of somebody who would lighten the mood and make me laugh, and I've always enjoyed talking with Lamar Winston, so that's probably kind of out of left field compared to talking about Steve Prefontaine, Marcus Mariota, and Phil Knight as pretty big-name people. But Lamar has probably been my favorite interview uh, that I've had at Oregon and uh, just somebody that always uh, adds light and kind of humor to the to the mood, and I think you'd probably want that during a, a time quarantined with, with other people. So, Matt, did you put any thought into this? Do you have just some names that you, that you thought of? I, I went something similar with one of them. Lamar Winston's a great one. I, I said Jordan Bell because Jordan Bell is same thing. a very cool dude, very smart, also just absolutely hilarious. And so he would really lighten the mood. Obviously, Phil Knight, for the same reasons, could teach you a lot of life skills of making money and, and whatnot. And the third one I, I had a hard time with. And I, I think the third one, I would probably, this is a, a really weird one, but Rashad Bowman. And okay. <laughs> yeah. I'm only picking Rashad Bowman because of one interaction I had with him that just stands out. And you always need a guy that's like trash talk and yeah. a guy that's like going to stir the pot a little bit. And lighten the mood and make things competitive in a fun way. And I remember in, I think, the 2000 Holiday Bowl, I was in eighth grade. I went to that game with my parents. We were flying back home, and Rashad Bowman was on my flight, and I literally sat like two rows away from him. And the entire flight, he talked trash non-stop about <laughs> anything. It, it, it wasn't, it wasn't even, I mean, it started with the game against Texas and then it went to, you know, him coming back for his junior year or senior year and just kind of like how he was going to roast all the receivers and you know, no one, no one could go against him. And then it just, it went to just look at this guy, how he's eating his peanuts and da, 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 like, and it wasn't like he was attacking the guy, but it was just like <laughs> being funny and, 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 you know, being aggressive and, and making things, you know, competitive and, and it, it just was hilarious. The whole plane was just awesome. The whole the plane ride was awesome. So that has no, it's <laughs> completely out of left field. And that's it. just, for, I have no idea why, but that's who I would pick. I, I love it. I love that we, you've got a very random one there, but, uh, it sounds like a good choice. You have more uh, history and experience with him. And I'm sure there are, I actually like to hear other people's insights on this. Maybe we'll put this on the message board, but, uh, I, I think, Really interesting question, thought-provoking. I spent some time sitting there thinking about it, and I'm sure there are other people I could have picked uh, that would would have also been good choices. But uh, that's one to kind of sit and let marinate on, and maybe we'll have other thoughts uh, at a later date. And final question of the podcast from at Altman Fever. Could you roll through these two scenarios? One, if you were Dana Altman, would you add a grad transfer or a sit-out year transfer this offseason? And two, if you were Andy Avalos, would you start Brady Breeze, Nick Pickett, and Javon Holland, or Brady Breeze... Slash Pickett, Holland, and Mikhail Wright. Um, why don't you take the first one, Matt, since you're kind of the basketball guy, and I'll, I'll give my thoughts on the Andy Avalos conundrum uh, afterwards. So I'm assuming Altman Fever is, is talking about 
adding one more piece to the roster because they've only got one scholarship left right now. Right. If you factor in Jalen Green, who's a four-star point guard, and then Aaron Estrada, who's announced his commitment. If it, if I was Dan Altman and looking at who's available, I would make a run first at Umari Hardy, a junior call, a UNLV grad transfer guard. I would make a run at him and say, okay, this guy could come in and gives us a little of insurance if, if a guy like Chris Duarte goes pro or maybe Jalen Green or Addison Patterson just isn't ready yet for a bigger stage at the next level. And you, you can now go with Hardy as maybe a starter or a sixth man, what have you. But if you can't get him, I would go with the high I would go out and find a junior, uh, a transfer prospect. Someone like a Joshua Morgan who plays at Long Beach State, six, like 6'10 center and is going to, to have NBA potential blocked like 80 shots this past season. Um, under recruited coming out of high school and played at, I think Long Beach Poly and has a lot of Pac-12 schools after him. Oregon is one of them. Oregon is, is kind of thought to be a, a major player there. Um, or maybe like a, a Virginia Tech transfer, Landers Nolly, who's probably going to be the top available, you know, sit one transfer out there. But I would, if, if you can't find, if you can't get Hardy from UNLV, I would then go after and find someone that's a sit one play two or a sit one play three guy. Someone, and, and you kind of basically begin a, a year in advance of getting that player prepared to play when you lose a Chris Duarte, you lose a Eugene Numari, maybe someone else like a real Richardson shows out next year and goes pro and you can maybe get a, a little jump start on acclimating those guys' replacements within the program. All right. In terms of this uh, secondary conundrum here where we've got two safeties and a nickel that we're picking between, um, there could be like 15 different scenarios in my head. Uh, no, no, uh, no mention of either Bennett Williams or Verona McKinley at safety, two players that I think are still definitely vying for positions. I don't know if they'll win those jobs, but I think that's possible. Um, we obviously saw Thomas Graham kind of moving around a little bit. Maybe he figures into this. I think the thing that would lead me, if we're just between these two scenarios, to pick the first one is that um, we know Javon Holland can play the, the nickel position. He was very, very... Very, very good there this last year. We know Brady Breeze and Nick Pickett can play safety. Um, I don't, however, know exactly Mikhail Wright's abilities at nickel. I don't think he really played there much this last year. Um, it's primarily just like a, a boundary corner. Uh, I, I think, to me, I would have a hard time leaning that way just because Wright's less kind of like proven at that particular spot. But you can't really go wrong. And I think this is going to be a thing where I wouldn't be shocked at all if, if who they end up starting and what that looks like is maybe even surprising to, to us as we're talking about this. And maybe it is Mikhail Wright starts at nickel at, kind of out of left field, or maybe it's Javon Holland moving to safety, or it's some combination of a couple of these different things. But uh, it's certainly going to be a thing that plays out throughout fall and into the season. And again, I wouldn't be surprised at all if we see some versatility even during the season, but if we're picking from the question, I go with Brady Breeze, Nick Pickett, and Javon Holland uh, as Oregon's starting safeties in nickel uh, next season. What about, to play off this question, 
you only can start Brady Breeze or Nick Pickett. Mm-hmm. Who are you picking? I think that's a tough one, right? Um, I think between those two guys, I'm going to go with. Oof, I'm going to go with Brady Breeze based upon how well he was playing at the end of last season. I don't at all want to like minimize Nick Pickett though, who started for two and a half seasons and has been a very, very high caliber contributor. Um, both are seniors. I think it's tough to not see one of those guys or maybe both those guys starting back there. But I'd go Breeze based on the fact that like the last time we saw them play real football uh, against Wisconsin, he was probably the best defensive player on the field. And the game before that against Utah, you could probably have made a, a similar argument. He was just playing at such a high level. So I'd go Brady Breeze. That's a tough call, though, and, and it's not a call that I envy. So, uh, yeah, you're right. Andy Avalos has some tough choices to make along with Keith Hayward and, and the rest of those de- defensive back coaches. All right, that's been the Austin Audible's podcast. Really appreciate you guys sending these in. As always, good stuff. Keep sending them in to Eric on Twitter, or you can hit up the hashtag Austin Audibles, and we'll find them there as well. So thank you for listening. For Eric Scopo and myself, Matt Brame, you've been listening to the Austin Audibles podcast. We'll talk to you soon. Adios, amigos.